There are an endless amount of variables that make up who we are, from where we are born to what kind of parents we have and what hobbies we develop. But throughout history, those variables were limited. We'd be born in a village and likely stay there for most of our lives. Our hobbies would be restricted to what's around us, and we'd likely end up with a similar profession to our parents. And just complete lack of the ability to create a middle ground in any kind of conversation, because. He sees what I love the most as evil. And he sees my best friends as the bad friends. That's Amar, back in 2018, where he was cornered into making the extremely challenging and life-changing decision to stand up to his dad who told him to quit YouTube forever. There was a very large cultural misunderstanding of the essence behind what we were trying to create. And as a result, Amar's dad cut ties with him and they didn't speak to each other for three years and are to this day only speaking on rare and important occasions. I, I always knew that it will come where I will have to make the decision between it's either my family or, or what we're doing here. I know that what we stand for and the purpose that we're bringing to this world is, is going to be just worth just making the hardest decision I've ever had to make. In 2021, for our society as a whole, our identities are growing exponentially in complexity. Our career choices have heavily expanded. With access to the internet, every niche interest in the world can find a community, and many people are moving to new countries or have immigrant parents and are therefore left juggling their culture of origin and their new one. Just know that I'm probably one out of millions who are in the same position. That's why I just can't stop here. Just creating something different and just a different path for just a generation to come. Healing from different cultures and backgrounds, Amar and I wanted to take a deep dive into this topic and discuss the intricacies of what it means to be living and identifying in today's society. For this episode, we also brought our good friend Samir Chowdhury from the YouTube channel Colin and Samir to share his views as a first-generation American with parents originally from India. So stick around to hear some of the personal conflicts we've been struggling with this year around identity, how we cope with the feeling of being labeled, and most importantly, how we come to terms with the complexities that surround our identity. Welcome, everybody, to episode three of the S3 podcast. We've got our dear friend Samir Chaudhry. Did I say that right? You got it right. I feel Mark. like four, yeah. three years into our friendship, yeah. I should be getting that right by now. <laughs> I, listen, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited about this conversation, guys. I yeah. wanted to ask you guys a question. I'm just curious because when you first brought this conversation to me, I like. I typically think about this conversation when it comes to myself and Amar chatting. I rarely think about it with you. Um, Especially when I first met you guys, I remember thinking like it was so unique that you guys were from all over the world, but you've settled here in the U.S. Like how how do you guys describe yourselves? Like do you consider your like Amar? Do you consider yourself Egyptian? Do you consider yourself Egyptian American now, or what, what do you consider yourself? Neither. I identify more as a world citizen from Egyptian origins, and and now I'm setting I'm setting up 
home base in America, but I, I don't I don't necessarily feel like I identify with either right now. What about both instead of neither, right? More of a hybrid. Yeah. Because you are Egyptian. Yep. But maybe you don't feel like you comply to the average Egyptian, right? But that's still fine. It doesn't mean you're not Egyptian. This conversation is happening at a very interesting time because <laughs> I just yeah. met I just met someone who's making me just rethink everything about my identity. Mm-hmm. Recently started dating someone from Lebanon and it's making me rethink more and like in the direction of yeah it is a hybrid then then it's neither yeah i mean and i think the the more you dive into it the harder it becomes to even understand where identity comes from because thinking about age like when does identity come in how does it evolve over time because i'm sure when you were younger you identified as very egyptian right so it changes over time and it's complicated how we build our our identities. You know, what is and why do we even need it in the first place? Like why do we need to identify with things? Is that like a core thing that we need as humans? And as the world becomes more and more global, are we at like a global like identity crisis because there isn't the same level of like identified to this one mm. culture or belief anymore? I, I think I can speak to it from my perspective. So, you know, I was born here in Los Angeles. But both of my parents were born in India. And when I was brought up here in L.A., my older brother um, was only three years older than me. And both him and I were trying to sort out, like, who we were. And when you're really little, it doesn't really matter. You're you're just a kid and you're in your family's home. And uh, in my home, they were speaking a mix of Hindi and and English at times. And my grandmother lived with us, who who was, you know, very traditionally Indian. Um, And what's interesting is as you grow up and you get into school, I think that's the first time you're organized into a room where then it gets broken up into like friend groups and categories. And I think it's the first time that identity comes into play in a very self-conscious way. And it was the first time that I felt incredibly self-conscious about being different. Because I was in a room of people who didn't look like me, who, when I would bring up things that happened in my house, it wasn't what happened in their homes, mm. but they could all connect on things that happened in their homes. They could connect on the food they were eating, the movies they were watching, the music they were listening to. And all of a sudden, I recognized so quickly that I was different. Mm. And I think what's interesting is when you're young, being different is one of the most terrifying things to be. Mm-hmm. I, I remember very specifically, my mom packed me Indian food for lunch and I brought it to school and it was my favorite food that I'd eaten. A- and uh, I, I opened it up and I remember someone next to me was like, ew, what's that smell? Right. And I was like, I, my heart like sank. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, am I doing something wrong? Mm. Should I not be doing this? Mm. Like, am I, is, are they going to make fun of me? Is this bad? Mm. And so I remember just like packing it up really quickly and, and, and putting it away. And I came home and my entire lunch was still there. And my mom was like, oh, you weren't, what happened? You weren't hungry? And I was like, nope, wasn't hungry. And I was just terrified to be made fun of. And I remember telling her like, I don't, I don't want to bring that for lunch anymore. Did your parents ever give you a heads up on 
what it would be like to be absolutely not really <laughs> no i don't think which they is, knew which is crazy i don't think that came from yeah. india like he, he he must have also had his own fair share of experiences where he felt like that he did um he absolutely did but i don't i think for him because he was in his 20s when he came to the u.s he had a little bit more of a uh, a spirit of just he had to survive i was fortunate like to grow up in a space where I didn't have that, right? I didn't have to survive. I was just trying to be a kid and fit in. Elementary school alone was relatively confusing. The school that I went to embraced us, but we were definitely like, okay, yeah, those are the Indian kids who go to the school. I went, I went to a school that was an Episcopalian school. And that was because my mom, when she grew up in India, like the Christian schools, they were the, the better schools in India because the English essentially established a system that, school was free if as long as you went to a Christian school. And so wow. we ended up at a Christian school where uh, my brother and I were two of the, uh, the very few people of color in the school. And again, like we, we weren't from a Christian household. Like we were just, at, <laughs> we, were, we were just at this school. Are your parents practicing in any other religion? I, I think we would, we would all very uh, proudly state that we are Hindu, but we are pretty open when it comes to learning about religion. Right. And so was it confusing for you to be at school? No. Like, did you know that you, like, did you understand that traditionally you were part of the Hindu religion at that point? Yes. And, okay. and I was very proud of it. And, and where I was going with this was that the school that we went to was very accepting and very, like, excited to allow us to bring light to that. And yeah. relatively, like, it was a confusing time. And I was very confused if I fully embraced my culture and was, you know, this mm. is who I am or was like, I, I just want to be American. So it sounds like time really affected your identity. Yeah, I think so. I think that's primarily because, you know, what was happening at school and again, like the cultural norms that were happening in the classroom and, and at school were not the cultural norms that were happening back in my house. And so it was like very, it was a very confusing um, upbringing. And, and for me, I wanted to be accepted by my, by my peers. So I would gravitate more towards what they were doing and anything my parents were, were doing or things that were from my culture, I would reject. Hmm. Wow. So it sounds like the people you're surrounded by in a way like we want to assimilate, right? We want right. to not feel too different, especially when we're younger. It's interesting because all of us have very different yeah. uh, situations, right? Because mm -hmm. I was born in a Swedish family in France and the way that you assimilated to American culture and wanted to be a part of the American culture, I didn't necessarily feel that way. I didn't have like a very strong desire to be more French than Swedish. Right. Uh, but at the same time, I didn't go to an only French high school. I went to an international school, mm. you know? In the classes, we were mixed with a ton of other nationalities so i had a couple of my swedish friends that were my best friends and then actually my closest friends were from all over japan netherlands uk denmark and so we were like a mix of people and we spoke french together but none of us were from france or had parents that were from france so it was really bizarre right and then i moved to canada and then now i'm in the u.s and so my the way that i perceive my identity is like all over the place and we can dive into that yeah. a little bit sooner because I want to talk about kind of almost like mm. set for each of us how it's different because mm. maybe Amar you want to describe your own yeah I was born and raised in Egypt in a 
traditional Muslim Arabic family. And when I was 15, I ended up leaving the country to pursue my high school degree in South Africa, which is where I actually started speaking English on a daily basis. Before that, it was just... So you learned at 15 years old? At 15. And you have like no accent today. So, which is, which um, is actually very interesting because I had a conversation one time with a professor of like linguistics and he asked how long I had been speaking English and I told him I started in 2010 when I was 15. Um, he was very shocked because he has obviously met other people from the Middle East have lived here way, way longer than I have and have moved here younger than I have, but still their accents are pretty strong. And I think what was happening is I really wanted to fit in and I just started paying very close attention to how people spoke. I, I think it really came down to just really wanting to just fit in and not be the foreigner because I've, no. I just always saw how the foreigners were treated different. The problem is I have a three-way, almost a four-way split in my identity, mm. you know? Because in Canada, was I lived there during very formative years. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I learned about Canadian culture for a while. And then French and Swedish as well, and then now American. I think you bring up a really interesting point there. So wh where we started the conversation was talking about like cultural identity, right? Almost yeah. like our roots and how those develop a certain form of identity. And what you've also address there is this form of like internal identity like who are you to yourself yeah um and i think what's interesting is who who am i culturally at first and how am i presenting whether it's through my appearance the way i speak my accent that's how other people are going to categorize me right mm -hmm. there's a there's a little bit of fear around like if I don't show up like this, then I will get categorized like this. Or like how Amar mentioned, where if I speak like this, then they will react like this, yeah. right? Like mm -hmm. if I speak English with an accent, they're going to treat me like a foreigner, yeah. right? And so that's like a, a, almost a defensive mechanism around, I don't want to be categorized like that. Mm -hmm. And then the other side is the internal identity around, I want to prove something to myself or I want to be a artist. I want to be a storyteller. I want to be a musician, you know? And so I do think that it's kind of interesting to think about those two sides of identity. One is how I fit into a room and how someone else is going to categorize me and, and organize me into society. And uh, one is how do I identify as myself? Who do I want to be? And am I matching that identity? We'll be right back with Amar and Samir after the break. If people keep telling you to try meditation and you're like, when? When would I have time? You should check out Headspace. Ranging from 3-minute meditations to 20 minutes, just four of these guided sessions can reduce burnout 14%. And just 30 days of Headspace lowers your stress by 32%. I, for one, struggle with anxiety and get stressed by minute things in my daily life that I feel like rob me of my genuine joy. And meditation has allowed me to slow things down and reconnect with how I feel in this moment and move on with my day, feeling much more present and more focused. And the benefits long-term on your happiness are honestly incredible. And by meditating now almost every single day for three years, I genuinely feel much happier in my daily life. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. And you deserve to feel happier. So go to headspace.com slash yes theory. That's headspace.com slash yes theory for a free month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. 
This is the best deal offered right now. So head to headspace.com slash yes theory. And now back to the episode. I wonder why it's so important to identify as something in a, in a room. Do you know what I mean? Two answers come to mind. Yeah. One, either evolutionary, we each just needed to have a very clear job in the mm. system of the tribe or the yeah. community that we had. So you really needed to know what is it that you did or it wasn't at all like that. And actually, this is just like a, the 21st century industrial revolution ideas of like, you actually need to to do something to be someone. Mm. And now most of the things that we think about when we identify are actually related to these things that we do rather than just like it being about who we are. Mm. To build off of the tribal idea, it could also be a, a desire to belong to something, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. To feel like you're a part of a group is very comforting. To feel like there's other people like you and you're accepted as a part of that group and there's like a set of things that you do as a part of that group. That's why like we still love traditions and things like yeah. that because mm-hmm. it's nice to feel like there's some guardrails in our lives that it's not just like, wow, I'm just walking around this planet mm-hmm. trying to figure out what to do, you know, but it's like, okay, my culture, in my culture, we do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you I actually know? think it's that framework that's really important because otherwise you can get relatively lost of like, who am I and what do I do? Well, that kind of comes yeah. back to Amar. You yeah. know, what do you do when you don't feel like you can own your identity? You reinvent it. How does that actually feel, though? It's a very hard process. It's one where you have to really, like, lose yourself to find yourself again. And uh, I think the journey ends up becoming about just building up the courage to to dive in and reinvent what the identity means to you. For me, what it means to me to be Muslim, <laughs> what it means to me to be Egyptian. I think building up to the point where to feel the freedom that you can redefine it for yourself rather than it being a binary thing of either I'm that or not that. To be like, no, I'm going to be my own version of that. When you're surrounded by other Egyptians, do you feel Egyptian? No, unfortunately not. I guess I can also ask when you're around a bunch of exclusively Americans, do you feel American? Not at no. Even less? So Yeah, absolutely. So you would feel more at home surrounded by Egyptians? Yes. So you're maybe the third culture kids is the people you relate to, right? The people that have mixed backgrounds that have had to adapt like three of us. Yes. I really think what we uncovered with yes theory is like yes theory is is like a counterculture. Mm. And that's why I think when I went through the conflict that I had with my dad who gave me an ultimatum a few years ago to either pick the work that I'm doing with yes theory or my relationship with him. I think that represented the epitome of what our generation goes through to redefine themselves. You know, someone here who grew up in the Midwest and I don't know, they want to be an artist rather than grow up to work on the farm with their, you know, with the, with their family. That's the kind of messages that I got after I shared what my choice was of how I wanted to act in that situation and my decision here was to really stick out for myself and and choose the identity that I'm creating for myself with my work that I was doing with Yes Theory and I think the the reason so many people related to that even outside of it being third culture kids is because it, it this is our generation struggle that's why we were called generation why not at some point because we felt that this this thing that we're trying to define for ourselves was actually a common struggle with 
people who are in our age category. I actually think, Amar, what you're talking about is also like hyper relevant to this era right now. Because if you think about the inputs we had growing up, like when I think personally about my inputs, it was like home. I had a ton of input from my parents, from my grandparents, my family, and then school and friends was my other input. Today, on a daily basis, you actually get to select the inputs you have. If you look at my social media feed versus yours versus Thomas's, we all have different inputs. We're all pulling from different things, right? We're listening to different podcasts. We're watching different YouTube channels. We're looking at different Instagram accounts. And I think that's offering this opportunity to develop very complex identities. And it's coming to a head with a time and an era where identity was very singular. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that the opportunities that we all have to craft and reinvent what it means to have identity is so broad and vast today. We don't have to fit into a certain identity. But I do think that that's, there's a lot of tension today between those two things mm. of the ability to, the ability to look and, and aspire to be like different identities and, and pull and make a mix of what you like versus what you're expected to be or how that categorizes itself in society. I feel exactly like that. When I'm in Sweden, like I, I identify with Swedes and in a lot of ways, like I, I feel very comfortable, but I don't, when I'm hanging out with only Swedes, like I don't necessarily feel like I can fully assimilate or relate, right? Cultural references, I don't have them. Mm. And then in France too, when I'm with super French people, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't feel like these guys at all. And so when you do have mixed backgrounds, you do have an opportunity to pick what you feel most suits mm. you. Mm-hmm. So it's more and more people are starting to choose their identities, starting to question. almost question their old ones. And I feel like that is a new thing happening. I think moreover than question, it's create too. And the creation of identity happens through expression. Like when you think about what you guys have expressed through Yes Theory, you've created, like you mentioned, that that part of the goal was to reinvent and to create a collective identity or, or to, to reinvent your, your own identity. And I think the opportunity to express today is democratized. And we all, we're sitting here expressing ourselves, chatting about this, right? It's like relatively meta, but it's like we are able to now express our identities through this, which are somewhat unique, somewhat a mix of what we were brought up with, somewhat a mix of what our careers are and what we do. And, and um, that only reinforces now for someone listening who might be struggling with trying to find their identity, mm -hmm. they might connect to one of us, to a story that we tell yeah. and be able to latch on a bit to that identity, but then use it to create their own as like a platform, right? Absolutely. Which is why I think Thomas, Matt and I, and you know, Darren, when yeah. he was part of Yes Theory, us being from four countries from four different corners of the world really worked out for us because mm -hmm. of exactly that. Someone could look at one of us and be like, oh, on the base level, I see myself and him because of whatever reason each of us offered to people from all over the world to relate to us, whether it's language, religion, way we look. Um, but I think that's so necessary to, to like, even though people do create identity, like I think when you and I first met, I think you being from Egypt and, and myself being uh, from Indian descent, like there was so much immediately that we had overlap which I think was, was our opportunity to find common ground and then build upon that. 
And you know why is because when I was growing up from an identity perspective, what I could become was limited. Mm. It was relatively limited of like, you, you should go into business yeah. or become a lawyer yeah. or become a doctor. Like there was a few identities that I could fit into. And I, I really wanted to play music. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be an artist. And from an identity perspective, I remember finding out that the bassist in No Doubt was Indian. And it was something I hung on to so tightly that like, oh, wait, I can do it. Yeah. Because there was mm. one guy doing it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, I can be an artist. There's one Indian artist in America that Americans accept that he figured out how to do it. And that means that I can potentially reach to do that. And I think as you see the evolution of all of this and now today, like, you know, the only other Indian that I saw in the media was a poo on The Simpsons. Hmm. And that sucks. As you can imagine, everyone in my, in my middle school, my high school would would recite lines from a poo to me, right? Like that's who I was. So there's the only Indian in mass entertainment that uh, was, was out there and that everyone commonly knew. So the common thing to do when you meet someone is you're like, oh, you're Indian? <laughs> uh, like a poo, right? <laughs> that's what you're like. And uh, that's how people, again, they, they organize identities into these buckets that they're familiar with. Right. And we do that too. I mean, like, it's the same. Like if you meet someone with blue hair in an instant, you're going to organize them into a category of like, oh, they're probably kind of creative. Mm -hmm. You know, like immediately on in an instant, right. you're going right. to categorize them into something that's familiar to you. Yeah. And I think that's why we all present ourselves in a certain way so that at a glance, we can be organized into the category that we are trying to be organized into. Mm. So I think thinking about like, is that a good thing to place identity onto someone or, or the preconceived notions onto someone or I think it's it inevitable not? but it's a slippery slope right yeah I agree because it that. can go towards like uh, insensitivity or even racism right stereotypes stereotypes yeah. Yeah. like what you were characterized as right. like a poo you know from right. freaking Simpsons like that's terrible you know but the problem is like as humans we are very binary in our brains and we like to put people and things in boxes because otherwise the world is too complicated to figure out. It's like, oh, okay. it's almost like we need reference points. Yeah, as we humans, do. Right. Where it's like, oh, okay, I get it. You're like this. Well, we're pattern recognizing machines, right? right? Like we always want to feel like there is an answer to things. We have a lot of discomfort and being like, I guess I'm, I'm not too sure. Or like this right. person might be completely different than my stereotype. Uh, but yeah, it, but no, it, but it's also inevitable, you I, know, because no matter right. what you hear a friend, you meet, oh, you're from France, you're going to immediately assume things about that person. Right. And there's like, just no way to this, avoid it. Therefore that. Yeah. yeah. Like, and that's the immediate thing that happens in anybody's head. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. You're a musician. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I know. Like, like, yeah. like your mind goes through all the narratives you have about musician. someone who's a musician. Yeah. Yeah. That's so fascinating. And I don't think there's anything we can do about that. I think basically the suggestion would be when you do go through that, that list of preconceived notions that you say there could be an end and it could be outside of the box. And that could be incorrect. What I just thought in my head and I'm willing to listen and hear. Exactly. You know, yeah. I think that's, that's all we can I ask for. I think it's unrealistic to say, don't ever have preconceived notions about someone. Right. But I, it, it wrecked the self-awareness around, okay, I am having preconceived notions. Right. That's, I think probably what's important when it comes to placing identity on someone else. Right the thing that gets tricky, like you were one of the only brown people in your school. So yeah. you are visually different. Right. 
for me, like I've never had that experience of mm. like not looking right. like the country that I'm in. You know what I mean? Like I don't look very French, but it's not like I don't look very different from other French people. So I've never had the visual like both of you guys have had of not looking like the people around me or like, you know, as you said, like judgment at first glance, mm. like I, I haven't really had to struggle with that or deal with that. Do you guys ever feel like this pressure for you guys to have mm-hmm. to show that you aren't? Absolutely. Like they're stereotyped? Yeah. All the time. Yeah. All the time. I think the time where it was the most <laughs> heightened for me was right after 9-11 because a lot of people would just, I mean, it was like, there was a lot of anger in the U.S., of course, towards people who looked like me, even though I was, I mean, I had, there was no bearing of like connection point, even from India to that. Right. Or, or someone who's Indian, but, but people on TV looked like me. And, um, I remember like being called a terrorist by someone my age and, and, uh, you know, being very confused around like, whoa, like their only reference point to who I am is how I look and what they're seeing on TV. Like that's the identity group that I fit into. And I was shocked. I was like, how can I fit into that? Like I'm American. I sobbed in front of the TV when that happened. Mm. I'm American. How could you connect me with that? Mm. You know? In so many aspects of our lives, we've put people into identities, into groups. Right. And we judge them entirely based on that group. I think what's interesting, though, is that the difference between, you know, developing an identity based on your inputs, what you're reading, what you're consuming, is that you guys are actually crafting an identity by filming and editing yourselves. Very few people have review of their own identity, right? When you sit and, Thomas, you've filmed something, you sit back and watch it of who you are. Does that impact it at all in terms of identity of having a review of yourself and having this like library of yourself over the years that you've essentially edited and crafted? I've had periods where I I had a really hard time editing myself, you know, because I'm like, what parts am I keeping here? Right. You know? Yeah. Because I can completely impact how people see me. Right. There's like 10 hours of footage here, like based on what I keep when you're going from hours of footage down to 12 to 20 minutes, like naturally there's a lot of stuff that gets cut out. At least for me personally, I try to make sure that as much as possible, I don't feel like I misrepresent the experience through like the, the things that I keep. But a hundred percent, there are moments where you edit out things that weren't great that happened. Mm. So I think one thing that I pulled from that also is that so much of identity is storytelling, right? Like human beings, we connect with each other through stories yeah. And an identity tells a story. Yeah. But I do think what's challenging in today's world is that our stories are incredibly public. And I think that can that can be good in showing our complexities, but it can also be challenging that you have a public story and potentially a private story. Yeah. I think it just it really comes down to believing that you have the power to go in and choose the parts that make you happy mm-hmm. rather than reject the whole thing just because a part of it really makes you feel guilty or ashamed and uh, you know uh, that's why I'm very passionate at this point in my life to to create that reconciliation and that middle ground that can pull in all these pieces of of my identity and anyone out there who's struggling with an identity to just again recognize the the power that we have in it and and for me the base identity that allowed me to to know all of that is my yes theory identity is 
going about life through choosing love over fear by seeking discomfort. So in a way, like I say the yes theory is working because I've, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at a very, uh, I'd say a very positive place. Now that I look back at the past six years and see like this identity that is formed, has it brought me to a better place or not? And it's, I'd mm -hmm. say absolutely. Yeah, I think the resolution here for me is like the thing that frustrated me growing up was that I think it was really tough to be judged by something I felt like I didn't have control over. Like I was to people at my high school or my middle school, I was a poo from the Simpsons. And so I think this, this notion of like being judged just at face value, that's the frustrating part of identity because you don't get to have as much control over that. Um, but I think the opportunity is building this complex and very individual identity that has opportunities to connect with like-minded people because of the way our world is moving today, you know? And like, I bet you I could probably pretty quickly be able to spin out like a community online of Indian American creatives and immediately connect with them. Whereas 15 years ago, I couldn't do that. And I think that again, it's going to be met with conflict. Like I'm sure I can imagine Amar, your DMS are filled with Egyptians who are interested in, creativity and now hopefully we can do that for everyone who feels like they don't belong where they are with the stories we tell through yes theory and the community that's available through yes theory having this conversation is making me really excited about actually figuring out a way to even define that better what do you think are signs for someone to to start considering reinventing their identity I think it's just a feeling, to be honest. Like, there's times where you just feel, like, uncomfortable. And you're like, what's, what's going on? Like, I, I, like, something feels off right now. But again, it's about leaning into it. And, and if, you, if you have the opportunity expressing it, it takes a lot of open-mindedness, not only from yourself, but the rooms that you put yourself in. Like, are you surrounded by people who are also willing to have a conversation and be pretty open-minded around the complexity of identity? So what are some of the, I guess, key takeaways for someone thinking about identity? I think accepting that your identity is your responsibility. And the, the more fulfilling life you want, the more work you're going to need to do on your identity because these things are directly correlated in the way where if you choose the comfort of just belonging to a preset identity just because there's enough people around that just do the exact same thing so that gives you comfort and this being the right thing then you might never really get to know who is it that you're meant to be or what is it that you're meant to do outside of these confinements i would add to that and say some people might also be fine doing that right some people don't want to explore and right and change who they are some people are happy being like hey i know who i am I know what I'm going to do. I know how I live my life. Mm -hmm. But if you are in a system that is very extremely strict and you hate it, like that's when you, you know, should start questioning things. Right. But I do think that some people just don't want to have the constant uncertainty because mm -hmm. there's a lot of discomfort in redefining and changing. And, and uh, some people want that because they don't feel like what they have is, is necessarily who they are. Mm -hmm. But I also don't think that there's necessarily anything wrong with being like, hey, mm-hmm. I love where I am. I love what I do, you know, but I do think that it's, it's almost like gauging your, for yourself, 
and checking in and seeing like, what is it that needs to happen? And are you only stopping yourself from doing it out of fear? And if that's the case, then start looking at what are parts of your identity that you feel like you would like to add on to what you currently have? Uh, or how would you like to balance it out? And in a lot of ways, you know, identity is given when you're very young. And as you grow older, it's chosen and you get to choose how much of that you're, you're, you're keeping and how you're going to combine it with the future you. Because throughout the course of your life, you do have um, an ability to define what that means and who, who you are. And it's a very overwhelming thing to go through. But I think, as Amar said, like it's a very fulfilling experience at the end of the road. And so I think it's just keeping an open mind, but also paying attention to what's going on. No matter where you're from or how you view yourself, dealing with identity is no easy feat. Coming to terms with growth and change is a difficult task in itself, let alone having to identify those changes and see how they play into who we are. From how we organize ourselves to how others categorize us, identity is an ever-constant battle of analyzing, adjusting, and accepting the changes that create the person that you are each day. Sometimes we struggle with identity, and that's okay. Life is a constant changing environment, and as we grow, we have the opportunity to choose the things that we find represent us. While it may be an uncomfortable transition, we believe that seeking that discomfort will only allow you to become more at peace with yourself and your journey. If you've been struggling with your identity, we hope that our reflections in this conversation shed light on the opportunities that come along with this change. Thank you for joining us. From Hitspace Studios, I'm Thomas Bragg, and we'll see you next week. I'm your host for this episode, Thomas Bragg. But I would not be here without my friends Amar and Samir Chowdhury. This episode was produced by Luke Himmelsbach and was edited and sound designed by Travis Lofman. The S3 podcast is produced by Luke Himmelsbach for Expedition Audio. From Headspace Studios, this show is produced by Danny Karasimi. Additional production help from Demira Pierre. The executive producers are Leah Sutherland, Morgan Selzer, and Sam Rogaway. <laughs>